Hello, I'm Jacques and this is Aminder. In this episode, we'll cover papers published in February 2021, focused on APP processing and amyloid beta aggregation. If you were interested in amyloid beta oligomers and various factors affecting fibrillogenesis, then this episode is for you. Just a little disclaimer, while we vet papers for peer review, we can't vet paper quality. So I guess don't take my interest in the paper for endorsement. As always, if anything catches your attention, check out our numbered bibliography in the show notes. Don't worry if you forget the paper's details, just try and remember the number. Stay tuned. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Not too many papers to cover, only 13. We'll have a short break after the first six papers on APP processing and the regions underpinning amyloid beta oligomerization, followed by the next day on amyloid beta fibrils and copophology. All right. Let's jump into it. Our first paper is titled Efficient Manipulation of Gene Dosage in Human IPSCs Using CRISPR-Cas9 Nicases by first author Yi and last author Ape. The journal is Communications Biology. Alterations in the copy number of single genes leads to autosomal dominant forms of diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. However, no human model system quickly and effectively recapitulates this effect of copy numbers on cells. The authors present a single-step CRISPR-Cas9 approach using paired Cas9 Nicase variants to selectively knock out genes. To this regard, they generated iPSC lines with uni, bi, or triallelic APP knockouts and differentiated them into cortical neurons. The cells showed varied levels of decreased amyloid beta production and tau phosphorylation. The authors conclude that their gene dosage model favours our understanding of disease mechanisms and aids in treatment development. It seems like it would be quite a useful model for determining the effect of APP on Alzheimer's disease pathology, so I'm interested to see where this goes. On to paper 2, titled Flexible and Accurate Substrate Processing with Distinct Presenilin Gamma Secretases in Human Cortical Neurons. The first author is Watanabe, the last author, Okana. The journal is eNeuro. Though commonly associated with excessive amyloid beta generation in Alzheimer's disease, the normal functions of gamma secretase components presenilin 1 and 2 are uncertain. The authors aim to identify the effects of presenilin 1 and 2 knockouts on iPSC-derived neurons to provide insight into their normal functions. If knocked out prior to differentiation, dual presenilin 1-2 knockouts decrease the viability of cells. Dual presenilin knockouts after differentiation reduced amyloid beta and APPC terminal fragment production, but this was not seen in presenilin 1 knockouts as previously reported, suggesting redundancy between presenilin 1 and 2 within gamma secretase. N-cadherin, another gamma secretase substrate, is not effectively cleared in presenilin 1 null neurons. The authors noted that presenilin 2 accumulated within gamma secretase in late endosomes and lysosomes. Internal compartments fought to produce amyloid beta. The authors conclude that their cell model can be used to uncover the roles of presenilin in normal and disease conditions. 
Paper 3 titled Hydrophilic Loop 1 of Presendolin 1 and the ABP GXXXG transmembrane motif regulate gamma secretase function in generating Alzheimer's causing amyloid beta peptides. Apologies, that was a mouthful. The first author is Liu and the last author, Selko, is published in the Journal of Biological Chemistry. Factors regulating the gamma secretase-mediated processing of the amyloid precursor protein are uncertain. Using synthetic and familial Alzheimer's disease mutations, the authors highlight the importance of hydrophilic loop 1, or presenolin 1, for sequential processing of amyloid beta-peptides. They reveal that hydrophobic loop residues tyrosine 106, leucine 113, and tyrosine 115 specifically interact with heterocyclic gamma secretase modulators. The GXXXG domain of ABP further influences sequential amyloidogenic cleavages. The authors suggest that a greater understanding of the key residues involved in gamma secretase activity will further the development of gamma secretase modulators to reduce amyloid beta generation. There was a subtle pun there. Let me know if you found or realised what the pun was. But otherwise, there are a few specific details omitted from this abstract, so do check it out online. And now we're going to move on to alokamorization for paper number four. It's titled, Segmental Structural Dynamics in Amyloid Beta-42 Globulumas. It's by first author Yoon, middle author Zen, and last author Gu Guo. Sorry, I'm so bad with names. Um, and yeah, it's published in the Journal of Biochemical and Biophysical Research Communications. Soluble amyloid beta-42 oligomers are thought to be the most toxic species in Alzheimer's disease. As soluble amyloid beta oligomers are quite variably described in the literature, as I'm sure you may be aware, you know, in terms of length, size, and morphology, a greater appreciation of their structural dynamics may further treatment development. Using site-directed spin labelling and electron paramagnetic resonance spectroscopy, the authors show that amyloid beta-40 globulomas show variable flexibility across four key regions. Just as a bit of a side note, um, amyloid beta-42 globulomas, they are a type of oligomer that forms under low concentrations of SDS, SDS being sodium dodecyl sulfate, rather, um, yeah, Back to the rest of the abstract. They observed the highest flexibility at the extreme end terminus, residues 1 to 6, intermediate flexibility between residues 7 to 30 and 35 to 40, and an extremely stable segment between residues 31 to 34. The authors conclude that a distinct structured core is absent from amyloid beta 42 clopumas. Okay, um, paper number 5, just one more before we take a break. Residue interaction network analysis predicts a valine 24 isoleucine 31 interaction may be involved in preventing amyloid beta 142 primary nucleation. It's by first author Griffin and last author Bradshaw. It's available in the Protein Journal. Discerning the nucleation process underlying amyloid beta aggregation will fuel the development of aggregation inhibitors. The authors model the interaction of amyloid beta residues during aggregation in response to polar solvents. They found that in less polar solvents, valine 24 and isoleucine 31 have higher betweenness and residue centrality values, suggesting these residues interact and regulate interdomain communication within amyloid beta. 
The authors observed similar possible interaction for the hydrophobic core residues 17-21 of amyloid beta-40 and 42, which supports notions that this region is important for oligomerization. The authors conclude that valine 24 isoleucine 31 interaction protects against oligomerization. So, taking papers 4 and 5 together, the region around isoleucine 31 seems pretty important for oligomerization, but who knows, maybe this is species-specific. What are your thoughts, listeners? And now paper 6, the last paper before we take a little break. It's titled... Mutual Structural Effects of Unmodified and Pyroglutamylated Amyloid Beta Peptides During Aggregation is by first author Abedin and last author Tachelian. You can find it in the Journal of Peptide Science. Alzheimer's disease brains display toxic truncated pyroglutamylated amyloid beta peptides, but little is known about their propensity for aggregation and their structural dynamics. As such, the authors compared the aggregation process of pyroglutamylated, that's A-beta-340, to normal A-beta-40. Both normal A-beta-40 and pyroglutamylated A-beta-40, and combinations of both, adopted an alpha helical structure when dry, which shifted to amorphous structures in aqueous solution. However, while amyloid beta-140 in mixtures of the two assume beta-sheet structures, a beta-340 preferentially assumes an alpha-helical conformation. The authors suggest that the avoidance of beta-sheet structure and fibrillogenesis may underpin amyloid beta-340 toxicity in Alzheimer's disease. As I'm not sure whether I've done this paper much justice, please do check out the full paper online for details. Um, and yeah, thank you for joining me for the first six. We've got eight more after the break so take a minute to just refresh reflect and relax hey listeners i'm here to let you know a minder is recruiting if you're interested in joining us shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook twitter and instagram enjoy the rest of the episode okay welcome back uh eight more as i said previously i hope you feel a little bit more energized and you can remember stuff from the first bit um not that there'll be any sort of quiz or anything um but anyway paper number seven is titled the genetic landscape for amyloid beta fibril nucleation accurately discriminates familial alzheimer's disease mutations it's by first author Suma and last author, Polignesi. In this study, the authors used deep mutational scanning to assess the changes in amyloid beta aggregation in response to over 14,000 mutations. The authors revealed key residues that determine propensity for fibril nucleation and showed that all familial Alzheimer's disease mutations increased the likelihood of fibril nucleation. The authors conclude that mutations in amyloid beta can both drive and impair amyloid beta aggregation. And moving on swiftly to paper number eight, it's titled Two-Photon Excited Polarization-Dependent Autofluorescence of Amyloids as a Label-Free Method of Fibril Organization Imaging. It's by first author Obstasiak and last author Olyazik Banska. It's published in the Journal of Physical Chemistry Letters. Commonly used fluorescent beta sheet staining methods such as 5 flavin T or 5 flavin T and Congo Red 
may influence the aggregation of amyloid beta. As such, identifying label-free methods of imaging aggregates is quite important. Using two-photon excited fluorescence microscopy, the authors detected amyloid fiber autofluorescence, which is specific to the orientation of amyloid aggregate components. They conclude that this technique could be used to label aggregates in mice models. Very cool little paper. It does make me wonder whether a lot of the research I've read needs to be re-examined though. Um, so hopefully we can move towards label-free methods if, you know, more effective than what we currently have. The next two papers both mention hen egg white lysosome. I hadn't come across it before, but it seems to be a protein used to understand fibril formation because its response to various solvents are fairly well characterized. That being said, I don't think the fibrils it forms can be classified as amyloid. So yeah, on to paper nine, titled Chemically Modified Glycogens, How They Influence Formation of Amyloid Fibrils. It's by first author Holubova and last author Harubi. The journal is Soft Matter. The glycosaminoglycan polysaccharides are often observed in amyloid. However, it is uncertain how polysaccharides and their modifications alter amyloid fibril formation. The authors explored the effect of glycogen and cinnamol, benzol, and phenylacetyl-linked glycogen on hen egg white lysosome and amyloid beta-42. The addition of aromatic ring-containing compounds promptly hastened amyloid fibril formation except for phenylacetal, which delayed fibril formation. The authors conclude that pi-pi interactions may modulate fibril formation. Again, as I've admitted quite a lot of technical information in this paper, do check out the full thing if this piques your interest. On to paper number 10, same authors and similar ideas to the last paper. Does polysaccharide glycogen behave as a promoter of amyloid Fibril formation at physiologically relevant concentrations. First author, Holubova. Last author, Ruby. Yep, the same authors and the same journal. It's published in Soft Matter. In this paper, the authors studied the influence of glycogen, phytoglycogen, manin, and cinnamol-modified glycogen on amyloid beta-42 and hen egg white lysosome fibril formation. All four polysaccharides promoted the fibril formation of both peptides, but higher glycogen concentrations strongly stimulated hen egg white lysosome fibril formation. The authors conclude that glucose levels influence disease-relevant pathways, but may fulfill a pathological role as glycogen by interacting with the amyloid precursor protein. Okay, next is paper 11. It follows a similar line to the previous two. Is titled Probing Amyloid Beta Interactions with Synthetic Heparin Sulfate Oligosaccharides. It's by first author Wang and last author Huang. The journal is ACS Chemical Biology. In this study, the authors aim to determine how synthetic heparin sulfate polysaccharides interact with amyloid beta. They showed that the ones that are fully sulfated bound to amyloid beta and identified a positive correlation between polysaccharide length and amyloid beta affinity, binding affinity. Large hexa and decaheparin sulfated polysaccharides altered the structure of amyloid beta C terminus and reduced its toxicity. 
the authors conclude that synthetic heparin sulfate polysaccharides are useful in modelling amyloid beta aggregation and toxicity. This is quite interesting. I'm pretty sure heparin sulfate is used to induce tau filamentation in vitro. So the fact that it prevents amyloid beta formation, interesting. What a disconnect. Anyway, um, on to paper 12. It's titled Catalytic Crosstalk Between Key Peptide Fragments That Couple Alzheimer's Disease with Amyotrophic Lateral Sclerosis. It's by first author Lowish and last author Bowers. It's published in the Journal of the American Chemical Society. Just to preface this paper, TDP43 is a DNA binding protein. It's associated with ALS and FTD. Cytoplasmic TDP43 inclusions are seen in AD um, and seem to correlate with worser cognition. It's These inclusions are predominantly seen in the limbic system and there's been descriptions of a new sort of copathology featuring dementia called limbic predominant age-related TDP encephalopathies myelful, which feature both amyloid beta uh, tau and TDP43 pathology. Anyway, um, back to the paper. Dysfunctional proteostasis in Alzheimer's disease favours the aggregation of other proteins such as TDP43. Cognitive impairment appears to be more prevalent in Alzheimer's disease patients with TDP43 positive aggregates. In this study, the authors explore whether cleavage fragments of amyloid beta 25 to 35 and wild-type and non-synthetic mutant TDP43 contribute to aggregate cross-seeding. Monomeric wild-type TDP43 fragments quickly stimulated amyloid beta-2535 aggregation into toxic beta-barrel and cylindrins. Side note here, cylindrins are six-stranded anti-parallel out-of-register beta-barrels, and quite unusual really, and really cool looking. Check them out. However, synthetic mutant TDP43 and oligomeric forms of wild-type TDP43 fragments disaggregated amyloid beta 25 to 35 species into smaller oligomers. The authors don't feature much of a conclusion here, but if you want to know more about the differences, you'll have to go beyond the abstract. What I will say is it's a really interesting paper. I do wonder how much the fragments of amyloid beta and TDP43 will interact. From what I understand, tau might not interact much with TDP43. Our last paper, paper 13, is titled Mechanistic Insights into the Co-Aggregation of Amyloid Beta and Human Islet Amyloid Polypeptide, an All-Atom Molecular Dynamics Study. It's by first author Lee and last author Wei. It's published in the Journal of Physical Chemistry B. There appears to be a comorbid association between Alzheimer's disease and type 2 diabetes. This may result from the co-aggregation of amyloid beta with human islet amyloid polypeptide, HIAPP, commonly deposited in type 2 diabetes. The authors explore the structural changes between amyloid beta HIAPP heterodimers relative to amyloid beta HIAPP homodimers. Amyloid beta HIAPP heterodimers interact to a similar degree as the homodimers, involving similar residues for aggregation. However, a greater likelihood of beta sheet structures is seen in amyloid beta residues E3 to E6, F19 to E22, and I31 to M35, and N20 to T30 of HIAPP, suggesting that the interaction of both 
facilitates the formation of beta-rich coaggregates. The authors conclude that the pathological coaggregation of both proteins may underlie the association of Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes. So, I understand that diabetes is a risk for Alzheimer's disease, but is this coaggregation physiologically relevant to Alzheimer's disease, given their quite distinct anatomical locations? You know, neurons and and the pancreas? But maybe I've missed something, so if I have, let me know. Anyway, that's all folks, thank you for tuning in. Remember to check out the episode notes for more information and to get access to our numbered bibliography. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episode releases. Also, do let us know if you are interested in joining the team. I would like to thank Anusha Kamesh for the music on the podcast. You can find her on SoundCloud under her name or on YouTube under AK Music. I'd like to thank Ellen and Christy for helping me sort these papers into themes, Sarah for reviewing the abstracts, and Kate for editing this recording. Oh, and let's not forget the rest of the amazing people at Aminder who volunteer their time to make this podcast possible. We hope you found our podcast useful and accessible. We hope to have you back here soon. Until next time.